Hello and welcome back to Wit Glass Unfiltered. I'm your host, Courtney Huntington, and this is episode 37. Uh, before I get into anything else, I want to mention that uh, I'm recording this in GarageBand uh, again as I did for the first 32 episodes. I am not recording it in um, in that new service cast that I've been telling you about because I discovered, uh, much to my chagrin today, that the audio levels come through so low that uh, that when it comes through the podcast transmission system, uh, it, the audio is just extremely, extremely low. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what the problem is there. I'm obviously going to have to go in and, um, and take that audio and change some of the levels. I don't know why it re- recorded so low. Um, and, I, you know, I, I've played those episodes back on my computer, and they didn't sound extremely low to me. So I'm not sure why they're coming across so low um, in, in iTunes, in the podcast app. But for some reason they are. And if you've been listening, I'm really sorry about that. I uh, hope to have that resolved. It's episodes 33, 34, 35, and 36 that were all recorded with, uh, with that low-level audio. And uh, so um, just be aware that I'm now aware that that's the case. And uh, so if you were... If you noticed that um, and were wondering about it or were worse frustrated about it, I certainly understand and I hope to have it fixed really soon. And uh, the first thing I'm doing to fix the problem uh, is that for this episode, I'm back to my old recording format using GarageBand with levels the way that I had them set before. Uh, And if you have a problem with those levels, then by all means, please let me know if something isn't coming through very well um, in my old recording system and the uh, renewed recording system as well. All right, Um, with that uh, little bit of admin note complete, let me move on to today's coffee talk. Right now, it's 3.30 in the afternoon, and this is about as late as I would drink a cup of coffee, and um, you know how much I love my Yura Impressa C60, but today I want to talk to you about my coffee mug. It's a, by a company named Contigo, and I've been using their coffee mugs for, I want to say it's uh, five or six years. I absolutely love their, uh, their stainless steel uh, double wall insulated coffee mugs. And uh, I took this cup of coffee with me at about 11 o'clock this morning. And I ran some errands and uh, had lunch with someone. And now I, I'm sitting here with the, the very last of my cup of coffee. And even so, ah, there's still warmth in this cup of coffee. And and I don't know about you, but I love hot coffee. I don't mind it when it gets cold. I know some people who want to throw it in the microwave if it gets cold or just completely throw it out if it get cold, gets cold. For me, I don't mind cold coffee if it's good coffee. And I certainly would not ever put my coffee in the microwave. 
I, I just wouldn't do it. To me, it kills the coffee. I, I would rather drink it cold than drink it microwaved. And, um, and yet, there are people I know and love very much who will, um, who will microwave their coffee. I, I won't do that. I'd rather drink it cold. And most of the time, I don't mind cold coffee. If it's good coffee, if it's bad coffee, I, I don't really want to drink it in the first place. Having said that, however, despite the fact that I don't mind cold coffee if it's good coffee, I do like the hot coffee. I like when I take my double-walled, stainless steel insulated uh, Contigo coffee cup with me, and, and it keeps my coffee hot for four or five hours. If, if it's a full cup of coffee, it stays hotter longer, of course. And uh, th- there are two other things I love about it. First of all, it's got auto seal technology, which means that when I want to drink coffee, I have to push a button. And when I release that button, the cup automatically reseals. But then it also has a lock feature. Maybe you can hear it. Let's see. Can you hear that? That's unlock, lock, unlock, lock. And so I can throw it in a backpack and not have to worry about the coffee spilling. It's a fantastic mug, and I absolutely love to drink my coffee this way. All right, enough about coffee. Now, today, the the main topic of this podcast is going to be, as promised, civilized discourse. I've already had an episode on civilized discourse, and I will try to remember to put that in the show notes for you, Uh, a link to that episode so that you can listen to that if you haven't already, or if you have listened to it, you can remind yourself of of what I said in, in that episode. And of course, there is a recurring thread that runs through multiple episodes regarding uh, civilized discourse, particularly regarding politics and things like that. Um, and, and it's a thread that will continue to recur, but I had an episode where I went into greater depth about it. There may have been two episodes. I'll, I'll look back at, at my show notes and, and see um, if maybe there had been a second one. I know that I've had at least one that was devoted almost entirely to the topic of civilized discourse. And so I want to talk a little bit more about civilized discourse today, but I want to change the the way of talking about it, not just we need to be civilized and here's how to be civilized and and stuff like that, but I want to talk today about another uh, another concept that I've addressed here on Wit Glass Unfiltered in a previous episode regarding literature. Because in a real way, civilized discourse and how to have civilized discourse and the importance of civilized discourse is connected very closely to the same principles that guide literature. Okay, so... Any time that you watch politicians, any time that you watch sports, any time 
that you read a book, anytime you watch an advertisement on television, anytime you listen to music, particularly if that form of input is an effective form of input for you, think about the storytelling of whatever it is. Because it's always about the storytelling. I repeat, it is always about the storytelling. The entire universe is one giant cosmic story. We cannot escape storytelling. And not only that, but we were created to tell stories. I won't go into all of that right now uh, to, to expand on, on exactly what I mean by that and, and um, how I can say that so, so certainly. Um, but we were created to tell stories. Now, some of the stories we tell are simply our own stories that we tell by living them out. Other stories that we tell are the stories that we tell through, um, through things that we build or design or, in a much lower sense, create. Okay, The, the whole idea of creativity. And then, of course, there are the stories that we tell and must tell that are actual stories, whether it's a story about what happened in the course of our day or whether it's a story we make up or whether it's a story we tell that, we're, that we pass on to the next generation of, of all of the principles of life and of God that we pass on to our children and say, this is what we believe and this is why we believe it. It's always about the story. Now, there are different kinds of storytelling. And so if you listen to this and you say, well, I'm not a very good storyteller, I don't necessarily mean that you have to be a good storyteller. I'm a terrible storyteller I've always wanted to be a good storyteller, but I'm not a good storyteller. Not in the, in the uh, classic sense that we usually use that, that phrase in. You know, when we say, oh man, he's such a good storyteller. Yeah, he just, boy, he can tell stories all day long. Yeah, I love it when Johnny comes over. Man, he can tell good stories. I'm not that kind of storyteller. Uh, I, I think that there are other forms of storytelling that I do have some, some skills in. I don't personally feel like any of those skills were sort of innate, that I just was born with these storytelling skills. But, uh, but I, I, I've worked hard at them, and, and I feel like there are certain ways in which I can tell a story well, or certain settings in which I can tell it certain kinds of stories well. So I, I don't want you to think that I'm talking about, um, about just one form of storytelling where you have to be able to, to craft this grand tale of, 
of events of a person's life and and you know you have to be like Mark Twain or William Shakespeare or Larry Wywoody or you you name your your writer that you think is a great writer, a great storyteller. I'm not saying everybody ought to strive to be novelists. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that there are lots of forms of storytelling and we were built for storytelling and we need to cultivate storytelling. Now, this storytelling that is so central to our lives and to the culture that we are both part of and which we are partly making is essential, I believe, to understanding how to have civilized discourse. One of the things about storytelling that is really significant is that storytelling requires listening. The best storytellers captivate their audience. In his Art of Rhetoric, Aristotle said that the speaker should make his audience attentive, receptive, and well-disposed. That's the goal of the orator, the rhetorician in um, in Aristotle's thinking. And the, the best motivators in any setting are the people who are best able to do that. Now, of course, there are times when, for the sake of our larger audience, we have to ruffle the feathers of our immediate audience. Uh, there's a beautiful scene in, um, in the movie A Man for All Seasons, which of course was originally a play, so I could say the play A Man for All Seasons, but I've never seen it performed as a play. I've only seen it performed as a movie, so I'll refer to the movie. Um, the fellow's name is Paul, uh, the, the actor's name that I'm thinking of is Paul... Um, uh, I want to say Paul Schofield, and again, I'll try to remember to uh, to put that in the show notes. So a masterful performance by him in this movie, A Man for All Seasons, which is about Sir Thomas More and uh, King Henry VIII. And uh, the movie makes out Sir Thomas More to be a little bit more noble than than he really was, um, but in this particular way, he was noble, and um, particularly the way the movie portrays him, it is a beautiful, beautiful picture of being steadfast under oppression. Um, you know, here is King Henry VIII wanting to remarry and wanting Sir Thomas More's blessing and Thomas More won't give it to him because he, he thinks that the king's remarriage is wrong, but he doesn't come out and say that he believes it's wrong. But the king wants him to bless the marriage. He's not satisfied with silence from Thomas More. And Thomas More was willing to give silence. 
and permit it to happen without speaking against it, but was not willing to, uh, to openly endorse the marriage. And again, keep in mind, I'm telling the story as it's told in A Man for All Seasons. I understand that there's a greater nuance in the story than, than what's revealed here, um, you know, details here and there. But so just understand that that's the story. I'm trying to set the background for this particular scene. And so eventually Thomas More is brought up to trial and this happens and that happens. He still will not uh, speak. It, it's kind of like invoking the Fifth Amendment. He's saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to speak up to condemn myself. If you have evidence, supply it. And they can't supply it, but because he won't speak up, they condemn him. And they condemn him to death for treason. And so he finally says, so this is decided. I'm going to die. And they say, yes. And he says, well, in that case, let me speak my mind. I'm not quoting it, but that, that's the idea. And, uh, and it says, absolutely wonderful, masterful scene in which he takes them all down and they gnash their teeth at him. But he doesn't take them all down with vitriol. He simply takes them down with honest confidence and truth-telling. Okay, so I've already mentioned in the past how important truth-telling is to civilized discourse. We cannot have civilized discourse without truth-telling. And regardless of what you think I may be referring to, um, I'm not referring to any particular politician or political party or anything like that. I, I'm simply saying there must be truth-telling. It's a fundamental principle of, uh, of uh, civilized discourse. If there is no truth or truth-telling, there is no civility. Civility is, in its essence, behaving in accordance with the truth. And so, here you have Thomas More being very civilized, believing he recognized his place as not the king and therefore not condemning the king. And so keeping silent, whether you agree with him or disagree with him, understand that um, in the context of the story told, that's his reasoning, that's his thinking. And when he is finally condemned, however, he lights into them not with a fury, but with a deep passion, a deep zeal to finally declare the truth of the matter. So when I say that we have to be civilized and we have to listen to the stories of others, I don't mean that there is never a time to speak loudly or harshly to speak passionately. But we must exercise good judgment. And if our 
discourse is um, characterized in the main by outbursts. Then there's something wrong with our discourse. Now, coming back around to the concept of storytelling, okay, the storyteller is the person who is able to captivate the audience and tell the story in a way that they will receive, which doesn't mean that there's never the time to stand up and speak the truth, even though you know they will not receive it, as in the case of Sir Thomas More. But there's something else that is a very important component here. And this is the component that I really want to draw out today regarding civilized discourse, is that there is such a thing as story hearing, If someone is going to tell a story, somebody has to hear that story. And any time you have two people talking about an issue, whether it's politics or religion or um, the, the local uh, neighborhood meeting of the Homeowners Association, and they're disagreeing about something, you have two people who have stories to tell, and they want the other person to hear their story. And if you want people to hear your story, if I want people to hear my story, we must be willing to listen to the stories of others. There is an old principle I'm sure you've heard it. It says, seek first to understand and only then to be understood. And I believe that that is one of the foundational rules of all discourse. Seek first to understand. This, of course is part of the problem with Twitter. And I think that I have finally come to understand why Twitter is so difficult to use for the purpose of civilized discourse. Okay, so the the first thing is that Twitter is not designed for storytelling. It is very hard with Twitter to build a story. You can link to a story that you've told somewhere else, but it's hard to tell a story on Twitter. Yes, you can do threads. Here's tweet one, tweet two, tweet three, tweet four, tweet five, tweet six, tweet seven, tweet 20, tweet 25, tweet 27 of 28, Tweet, and yeah, you can build a story that way. But it's hard, time-consuming. It's not like just writing a story. 
And it's certainly not designed for story hearing. It's very hard to get somebody's uninterrupted story on Twitter because you've constantly got people chiming in and throwing the thread off track of the original story. And most people who are interjecting and throwing off the thread of the story aren't interested in telling their version of a story. They don't want to tell a story in return. They want to take a quick shot. Twitter is very good for quick shots and mic drops. That's it, though. Twitter is not really very good for anything besides those those quick, punchy little statements. And the thing is that quick shots and mic drops are effective only in the context of a well-developed story. The guy who gets to the end and goes, mic drop, you know, or, I mean, I, I don't mean says mic drop, I mean drops the mic. He only gets to do that and be effective if he has completed a story and gotten to the punchline and that punchline smacks you right in the face and boom, mic drop. So all these people who are trying to do mic drops on Twitter are totally missing the technique. They're totally missing out on everything that builds up to the mic drop that makes the mic drop effective. You've got to have a well-developed story in order to have an effective mic drop. Now, in addition, it's very hard to see the entire context of a conversation. So even if somebody's told a good story and then somebody wants to respond with another story and another person wants to respond with their own story, usually a second person will begin their story before the first person is done with their story. And then a third person will begin their story before the second person is done with their story, or maybe even before the first person is yet done. And so then you've got multiple stories, if they're even there, going on. And then you've got people chiming in on those stories. And Twitter doesn't make it easy to see all of the threads that might begin to develop from a single tweet. So you have somebody tweeting something out fresh and somebody replying and then somebody replies to that and somebody replies to a reply and then somebody replies to something earlier and then you've got all of these threads and it's almost impossible to to follow all of them all the way down because Twitter doesn't show you all of them. It's not like it builds a conversation tree. It would be nice if Twitter would build a conversation tree, let you hit a button and see where all the different threads go so that you can be sure you're following the entire conversation. But Twitter doesn't do that. And and until Twitter changes, and I don't expect it to change, it's called Twitter after all, you, you cannot really have significant civilized discourse on Twitter the way it's designed unless you fight against Twitter's very makeup. And I do think we should fight against Twitter's makeup. I think that we should struggle through the imbecility of Twitter's design in order to build civilized discourse despite the incivility of the platform. 
But you certainly cannot say that Twitter is well-designed to encourage civilized discourse. If we want civilized discourse, we have to be willing to tell stories and we have to be willing to listen to stories. Thanks for joining me today on Wit Glass Unfiltered, episode 37. If you're enjoying Wit Glass Unfiltered, please tell all your friends and family and coworkers and neighbors. Let them know that we're out here uh, doing our thing, trying to be part of, um, of building positive culture. And if you find value in what you hear in Wit Glass Unfiltered or what you read on, on uh, wit.glass, then please, please consider contributing. Uh, if you are a business and would like to sponsor the podcast, I would be delighted to speak with you. Feel free to reach out. We've got lots of big changes coming to Wit Glass, and I'm really excited to roll them out to you. If you have suggestions, please feel free to sign up for the newsletter and um, and when you receive newsletters, reply to them. There are always ways that you can get in touch with me. Uh, if you just want to take down this email, feel free to email me directly at this email address, halfwit at wit.glass. That's halfwit at wit.glass. I'd love to hear your suggestions. If you have ideas for guests you'd like to hear me uh, converse with on the show, send those my way too. I appreciate you joining us, and I look forward to being with you next time on Wit Glass Unfiltered. Have a great weekend.